Welcome to GRIT, the Real Estate Growth Mindset Podcast, hosted by Brian Charlesworth, founder of Sisu. Sisu provides growth automation software for real estate. You'll hear stories from real estate thought and technology leaders, team owners, and brokers on how to grow their business in a rapidly changing industry. You'll learn how to transform your brokerage and teams into a high-performing and analytics-driven business so you have a new, durable, competitive advantage against disruption in your market. So let's get right into it. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Grit Podcast. I'm Brian Charlesworth. I'm the founder of Sisu, and I'm your host of the show today. And today, it's a great honor to have my first two-time guest, meaning Michael Hellickson from Club Wealth is joining us for the second time. And trust me, that's not because we have a shortage of guests, but it's because last time Michael and I spoke, we had so much to talk about. We could have gone for hours. I got to uh, let him share a lot about how he founded Club Wealth and to give you guys some great tips on what you should be doing as agents. But with the, the times being where we are today, COVID-19 has taken a lot of businesses down. Many of your real estate businesses and many of you are still having a tremendous amount of success. So I thought there would be no better time than to bring Michael back on the show to talk about what's the difference between those who are having a tremendous amount of success today and those who are struggling or failing or possibly even going out of business. And it's not a joke, right? I mean, people are in the situation they're in, uh, in some cases because of mindset, in some cases with New York City, uh, shutting down entirely, people couldn't go out. So it's harder to make a shift if you're in that market and to do what you need to do to be safe and still be productive. But there's so much going on in today's world that I really wanted to have Michael back. Uh, also, Michael just did a convention that we're going to talk about today, but we were a part of that. And uh, Sisu ended up sitting in rooms where if any of you have been to a convention, you know, if you're displaying at a convention, you can only talk to one person at a time. And we found ourselves talking to 15 or 20 people at a time. So it was a way more effective things, way of doing things. And so have things changed in the way we do business? Or will we ever go back to doing business the way we were before? And so these are some of the things we wanted to talk about. Michael, welcome to the show. Founder, CEO of Club Wealth. It's an honor to have you here today. Uh, it's an honor to be here. I appreciate you having me, Brian. Uh, yeah, no, this is, uh, you know, you asked the question about, you know, will we ever go back to the way things were? Uh, and I think in a lot of cases, the answer is actually yes. Uh, in terms of, you know, people, you know, people ask about these, these virtual events, for example, you know, they're, you know, and, and listening into camps certainly showed that for vendors, at least, you know, for the vendor partners that we work with, um, and for a lot of the attendees, you know, there's a lot of efficiency that can be created in a virtual event, uh, but people are dying to get next to each other, and that's a terrible use of words, but they're, they're anxious to get back together again and get face-to-face and have that human interaction again. Uh, and do I think that we may see some diminished uh, attendance at some events? Yeah, I, I think that's very possible. I think, you know, that that could happen. At the same time, I also think that you know, travel's cheap right now. Uh, hotels are going to be cheap for a while. 
uh, that industry is hurting just like everybody else. And they're doing everything they can to make their pricing as aggressive as possible to attract people into their uh, hotels and their airlines and you name it. Uh, and people, again, they want to be close to each other. So I think you're going to see, well, I know we're doing our event in November. We've got, so we have our next virtual event coming up in July. Uh, so certainly the virtual events are going to continue to happen. Uh, so I don't think it's an either or, I think it's both and. So let's talk about that because when you say virtual events, those who are really driving the needle forward, those who are making a huge impact on the industry. I mean, I've seen agents, they're doing virtual events. So I've seen agents that uh, have actually done a virtual event and they've attracted like 15,000 followers in a week by putting together a virtual event where people were coming in to speak. So. Let's talk about the value of virtual events. I can't tell you how many people have come to me and said, wow, you guys have been doing business this way forever. And now I'm seeing, and this is like one of the largest companies in real estate. And they're saying, we're seeing all of our people are more productive. They don't have the drive time. They don't have the talk time. So let's talk about virtual working, virtual events, that kind of stuff. But what is, what is a virtual event, Michael? You oh, guys virtual. know what's going on. What is, what is that? Yeah, I mean, by, by sheer definition, a virtual event is simply an event that happens online. Um, and so, you know, for us, we had to pay, we had a big event, you know, this listening agent bootcamp we had earlier in the year. Um, we had planned, it was supposed to be in person, it was going to be in Scotts, or in uh, Chandler, Arizona. Uh, you know, had the hotel book, you know, we're on the hook for, you know, just over $600,000 uh, to put on this event. Had, you know, 500 people registered for this event wanting to come and and uh, man, I got to tell you, it was, you know, when, when COVID hit, it's like, oh my gosh, the event was in April. Now all of a sudden we're like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do here? Because not only do we have, you know, and, and the money was small issue to it. The, the, the bigger issue was we have a responsibility to all these people, uh, both to provide them with a great event that they learn a ton from, that they get to network and get to know one another and, and mastermind and really take their game to the next level and to keep them safe while doing so. Uh, and to not put them in a, in a position of, of endangering their lives, frankly. And that's a tough balance. <laughs> and so uh, we got to a point where we had to make a decision to switch the event from an in-person event to an online event uh, prior to figuring out the money. You know, so we didn't know if the hotel was going to let us off the hook on this 600000 plus or not. Uh, but we needed to make the decision anyway. And it was imperative that we, that we move in the right direction. So we switched it to an online event. Well, at that point, to your point, you know, all the vendors are like, well, gosh, we just paid to be at this live event. You know, are we really going to get our money's worth out of it? If it's an, in, you know, if it's online instead of live and how are you going to do this? And the fact of the matter is I wasn't sure either, but I knew I was going to figure it out. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the fact of the matter is there's, there were no platforms out there that could really handle an event like ours. You know, with our event, we have as many as, uh, well, like the, the breakout sessions alone, you know, we have as many as 11 breakout sessions happening at any given time, right, for different types of agents, you know, whether it's a buyer agent, a listing agent, a team leader, broker owner, whatever. Uh, and so how do you do a live event where you have video to video? So we didn't want to do, you know, we looked at, um, there's, a, there's a product called Verbella out there that's, you know, EXP uses Verbella to, to do their conferences and stuff. And that's one option. And then there's just using Zoom and, that's an option, but the reality is we wanted connectivity and we wanted people to be able to be video to video, face to face with each other. 
Uh, and then we also in, in, we needed to be able to control who could be there because people had paid to be at this event. So we had to control who could come in and who could go to what sessions. I mean, it gets pretty complicated pretty fast, right? Well, and then stack on top of that at, 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 during the breaks, you have to be able to have 21 concurrent vendor booths happening at the same time. Do that. Now, how do you do that? Video how did you do that? Yes. How, tell us more. <laughs> we, we have three full-time developers in-house, and at the time we only had two, actually really one and a half, one plus an intern, and it was 18-hour days, uh, literally for almost 45 days. It was 18-hour days putting this platform together. We built our own platform, so essentially we tied Facebook to Zoom to Infusionsoft, which is our CRM, so we made it so that when people logged in, so they had to use Facebook because we know nobody's going to give their Facebook password to somebody else, right? That's just, you just don't do that, yeah. and so... We knew that would provide us with the security we needed. So then we could tie their Facebook account to their account with our CRM. So we knew who they were and we had their credit card on file and all that. We knew what their tagging was. So we knew if they had access to this or not, if they'd paid for it or not. Uh, and then we could tie that to Zoom so that we could go video to video. We could control which rooms they could be on video in. And it, it's, it sounds complicated. It's 10 times more complicated than it sounds. And you know that because you're a tech guy. So yeah. you know how, how crazy this is. And if, as a tech guy, you know, I mean, um, the uh, Zoom does not have their, um, oh my gosh, what's it called now? Um, it's not, first of all, it's not even a real, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an okay API, uh, but they don't have their, what's the, oh, I can't remember. Anyway, they haven't really gone to the level of really providing great access to their platform outside their platform yet. So that's, that would be their API. So, well, it's more than their API. There's another word for it. It's like not SMP. It's, um, Oh my gosh. I'll, I'll tell you all. I, I have to ask for developers I'll, and I'll tell you what it is. But point being, uh, we brought it all together, figured out and like three days before the event, I'm just freaking out. I'm like, Oh my gosh, is this going to work? I'm like scared to death. And so what I did was I said, okay, look, if, if we're sure there's going to be customer services, right? Just, just trying to get people to be able to log in with their iPad or their iPhone. Cause as you know, Android's real easy to work with. I, Apple sucks. Yeah, I mean, it, developing with Apple is so hard. Like they just make everything difficult. So three days before the event, I said, okay, well, we know we're going to have customer service issues. So we have two options. We can't fix it. We can't, we, we can't make it perfect. But what we can do is we can have 17 people in a live help desk throughout the entire event. So that no matter that, so there's no possible way that more people will need help than we can provide. So what we did was we did a couple series of, we said, okay, we're going to have all these people log in a few days early. We're going to encourage them to log in a few days early so we can resolve issues. And we, and we phased it in so that the day of the event, we were not only able to handle everybody's customer service issues, their, techni you know, their technical glitches or whatever they encountered, we got it done very, very quickly. It was almost better than if we didn't have the issues because they got a chance to experience and you know, touch and feel our customer service, yeah. uh, which was huge. Yeah. So that was important. So it was, which, that was an unintended consequence of a, very, a potentially very bad downside, uh, but it worked out. So, I mean, it, it was phenomenal. I know everybody involved was so impressed. Um, so tell us, you had how many vendors, you had how many people show up? Did you end up having your full 500 attend or? How, oh, no, we had like 560 attend. Okay. Uh, yeah, we ended up with, uh, it was crazy. And I, I could be wrong on that exact number, but it was well over the 500 that we originally had. Uh, and this was a two-day event, is that right? It was a two-day 
uh, it was originally planned as a four-day conference. We usually do a coaches day one day and then three days of conference. And we ran this one. I'm sorry, was it two or three days on this one? I think it might have been three, actually. I think you're right. I think it was three days. Um, and uh, usually that last, did we go three on this one? Yeah, we did. No, we did. We went three days. We kept the same schedules we had before. Our next one we're doing is a two-day. Uh, but we did do this one as a three-day. And, and one of the things that's really tough uh, about doing an online event that's really critical is you've got to get that connectivity. You've got to get that networking happening. And that's not easy uh, to do online. And as you found, you know, getting people into that Zoom room for you as a vendor is mission critical, right? Because now, with, and, it's, and it's actually easier than an, than an in-person event because yeah. you've got a captive audience now and you don't have to compete with all the noise at the other booths and in the hallway and all that stuff. Um, so from that standpoint, I think it worked out really well for the vendors. From an attendee standpoint, what was really cool for them is they could pop in and out of vendors whenever they wanted. Um, they could easily connect with vendors. They could see them face to face. Um, and it was much more organized. It was faster to go from room to room this way than it would have been in person. They didn't have to walk all the way down the hall to go find the right room and all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, so, as, so Frank was on there from CSU. It wasn't me. Yeah. Uh, uh, and he said that the beautiful thing about it was he could present like 15 people at one time, yeah. which you could not do that at a live conference, right? So anyway, it ended up being a great thing for us and I think a great thing for you. So congratulations on pulling that off. I just wanted to hit that really quick to start with. And I think the exciting thing about that is it, share, it really shares and shows everybody, I don't care what business you're in, you can make adjustments today. I know people who own restaurants who are now out of business. I also know people who own restaurants who are serving more meals today than they've ever served mm -hmm. um, because they're at capacity in their buildings. Um, there's a restaurant here in Utah that has two locations and they're not opening up even though they've said you can open up your locations because they're actually sending more meals out the door than they've ever done because people are just going and picking it up, right? Or, or you've got Uber Eats or, you know, any of the others, right? And so, so anyway, there are shifts that can be made. So turning that to real estate, yeah. what should we be doing? We being, what should agents, teams, broker owners, what should these guys be doing in this environment to stay successful some are, I mean, I know you've seen this. I know I've seen this. Some are still having the best months they've ever had in their lives. And some are really, really struggling, may even be out of business. So it really doesn't matter what industry you're in. And I think real estate included, even though real estate's been tagged an essential business, some people are afraid to go out. Some people, depending on where you're at in New York, it would be a bigger challenge. So Michael, tell us, in today's environment, what should someone be doing? What, what is the difference between those that are failing and those that are having the best months ever? Well, number one, it's what's up. So the first thing that they can be doing and that everybody needs to be doing if you want to be successful going forward is stop listening to people that aren't successful doing what you want to do. Stop it. Quit taking advice from people that have no business giving you advice. 
And right now, there's a lot more of that out there than it is advice from people that should be giving you advice. Uh, there's so many people out there that want to talk about the boohoo and the so you know the the all the problems associated with this. And look, I don't I don't mean to be callous or insensitive. And I get it. I empathize and sympathize with those people out there that have gone through real health concerns, lost loved ones, and so forth. I get that. I get that. But you know what? You can't focus on that. If you if you focus on that, you will not get productive. And I'm telling you, what this world needs right now is it needs everybody in it to get productive. It needs everybody in it to pull themselves up by the bootstraps, develop a little bit of grit, and figure out how are we going to make this work instead of worrying about all the reasons why it won't. And as we focus on that, you know, you've heard the phrase, you know, if you're focused on the light, you can't see the darkness, right? So if we're focused on the positive and we search for the opportunities in the chaos, guess what? We'll find them. Shinzu, a great quote from Shinzu, right, is that where there's chaos, there's opportunity. Never before in real estate have we seen an opportunity like this one. Uh, furthermore, like if you look at the Japanese kanji for crisis, right, it's made up of two kanjis. One is danger and opportunity is the other. So in every crisis, there's danger and there's opportunity. The difference between, right now, there's a divide, a chasm in real estate, if you will. And it applies to brokers as well as agents and everybody else in this industry. There's a chasm. That chasm is this crisis. And it's whether you are on the danger side or the opportunity side. I can tell you over and over and over again, I'm, I'm talking to our broker, so we have broker owner coaching and we have agent coaching. On the broker owner side, I'm hearing from tons of our brokers, they're recruiting more people now than ever before. Why? Because the, the, the agent who's, who they're recruiting, their broker's ignoring them right now. Their broker's saying, oh, we're closed down. Don't, don't be doing business. Just go be with your family, chill out, relax. We'll get back to it when we get back to it. Man, that is the worst thing. You might as well just hang up a sign that says, close, never opening again. Like- Go to another brokerage. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's literally what they're doing right now. Uh, and so instead, what you need to be doing is you need to be reaching out to people. And we've, I mean, heck, early on, like literally in the very beginning of all this, we started telling people, look, you need to call everybody in your sphere of influence and you just see how you doing. If you're a broker, call all your agents. How you doing? And instead of commiserating with their misery, help pull them out of that misery and give them reasons why and, and steps how to overcome what's going on and to be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. So, so don't get your advice from the news is what you're saying. No, no that's the worst. Don't even watch the news. Like every, believe me, you'll hear what's going on. You don't need to watch the news to figure that out. What you need to focus on is call your clients, make your lead generation, lead follow-up and lead conversion calls. Focus on building your pipeline. Oh, but Michael, I'm in one of those markets like New York or Pennsylvania where we're completely shut down and we can, okay, great. You can still do virtual showings. You can still, oh no, Michael, we can't do virtual showings. We can't even get in the house. Does the seller have a cell phone? Does, is it a smartphone? Does it have a camera on it? Can they take the video for you? Stop coming up with so many excuses why you can't and come up with a reason or two why you can. So you can have reasons or results, right? I always love to tell people, you can be right or you can be rich, right? Like, and you're right, reasons, results, you got to choose. You got to make a choice. You got to take a stand right here, right now. Because I'm telling you, and by the way, it's already happening. Most agents, we were just talking about this earlier, 80% of our football clients are literally in March and April had their best month ever, both in terms of over transactions closed as well as number of transactions written. Best months ever. Now listen, if you're not one of those, if you're in the 20% that's struggling and if you're, and you're just feeling, oh my gosh, my world is caving in. Listen, there's a couple of things you can do. Number one, get on your knees and pray. 
and, and by the way, when I say get on your knees and pray, don't just ask for more business. Ask your Heavenly Father to fix your freaking head. Ask your Heavenly Father to fix your mindset. That's where you got to start. Get your mindset straight first. Begin with the end of mind. Understand first. And by, by the way, a first step in that is start legitimately counting your blessings out loud. I know that sounds crazy, and I don't mean to get all religious on y'all, but dude, you need to start counting your blessings and understand what you're grateful for. What is going right in your life? Figure that out and then focus on that and then build on that and then start thinking about, okay, all these great things are happening in my life. I have family that loves me. I have friends that care about me. I have whatever it is in your life that's going on. Then start saying, okay, where do I want to be? What do I really want to accomplish? What am I committed to accomplishing? Okay, great. Now, what's it going to take to get there? And ask for clarity on that. Don't ask for the result to be handed to you. Ask for clarity on how you can go get the result and then go do it. If you've been enjoying Grit, please help us continue to grow the channel by leaving a five-star review and sharing it with a friend. Now back to Grit. So, so first thing is mindset. Mm -hmm. Just to, to back up and clarify what I just heard. Have the mindset. If you don't have the mindset, get on your knees and figure out how to get the mindset. And something you said there is figure out what you're grateful for because you can't be in a position of gratitude and fear at the same time. That's right. And fear is what is stopping you from actually getting out there and doing stuff. And then the second thing I heard, Michael, is be resourceful. So, you know, I don't care. You said, I don't care if you're in New York or Pennsylvania, be resourceful. There's a way to have a showing and there's a way to have that happen. There's a way to have a buyer consult. There's a way to do everything sitting in your house. So figure it out. I get that we are seeing so much of this happening across the country right now. Uh, early on, I mean, literally 60 days ago, uh, almost 70 days ago now, we had one of our clients in California, uh, Jeff Russell, great guy. He's been a club golf coaching client for, I don't know, probably five, six years now. Wonderful guy. Uh, he and Kelly there are just crushing it. Now, I got to tell you, uh, when this all started out, he had a listing appointment scheduled um, and just figured out he couldn't go do on the listing appointment all of a sudden. So he says, well, let's do it virtually. This was an expired listing. Agent that had it before had it at a, at a lower commission and uh, a higher price than what he was suggesting to the seller. But Jeff got the listing at the, at the lower price and the higher commission. Uh, and by the way, he sold it. And he did it all over Zoom. Never went to the house. Didn't need to. And you guys, this is what I'm saying. Like, again, where there's chaos, there's opportunity. Sellers still want to sell. Buyers still want to buy. Agents still want to find a better broker and a better brokerage. And guess what? Moves are happening all over the place. Get in front of them. Find opportunities to get in front of them. Okay. So those are some, I mean, if I'm an agent, which I am still an agent, uh, but not, uh, not really an active agent, but, and I think about being able to sell a house without ever actually going to that house. I think, why would I ever want to go back? Uh, so that's my question, Michael, where do you see the industry in the next 24 months? I mean, is it going back or are people going to adopt these new ways of doing business, which are actually more efficient? Hey, write these four words down either or 
And then next line would be both and. What's the second line? Both and. Both and, okay. First line is either or, second line is both and. Now you wanna know the difference between agents that are gonna be successful in the next 24 months and the ones that aren't? Start there. The agents that are gonna fail in the next 24 months, they're, they're either or thinkers, right? They are scarcely minded. They think you can either do this or you can do that. I can either do virtual assist, you know, virtual appointments and survive, or I, or I can stay at home and not, and, and not even do those. Or worse, when the market shift, right? So right now we've got people that are doing virtual appointments, but when this market really takes a shift and we get back into, we can be face to face with people. You're gonna have people that just like they use COVID as an excuse not to go out and get business. They now will use the fact that, well, we, everybody's gone virtual, so I don't need to go to the house. They'll use that as the excuse for not going to the house. I'm telling you guys, here's the key. It's both and. You need to offer both and the other. Right, so I need to be able to do stuff virtually for those people that want to do it virtually, and I've got to be willing to go to the house for those people that want to go to the house. I've got to do both, and and if, if I'll do that, if I'll make sure that both are tools in my arsenal, and there's ways to do them safe. You can go physically do it safely. There, we that, that's proven, right? That's it's ridiculous to think that you cannot be in public safely. You can do it. You just have to take precautions. Um, so that being said, those that figure that out, they are going to crush it. Now there's another wave coming, right? So not only do we have this whole COVID thing, but we have the aftermath of COVID, right? So, and the aftermath of COVID, some will say that it's, that it's, that it's a health issue, you know, that it's, that, that COVID's going to come back and we're going to have another, you know, spike or whatever, whether that happens or not, here's what is going to happen. What is going to happen is we're going to have economic consequences of what just happened. Period, end of story, that's going to happen. We don't know the extent of it. We, we have no way of telling what the extent of it is right now. Most markets, we're still seeing super low inventory, super high demand. We're seeing massive multiple offers with escalation clauses on lots of properties all over the country, even before they've been viewed inside. I mean, come on, guys, we're in a new world for most people. That being said, guess what? That's gonna change. When this, when this all comes down, when we start getting face-to-face -face again, Sellers get a little more comfortable. Guess what a lot of them are going to do? They're going to start dumping properties on the market. And not only that, you're going to see institutional sellers start to dump properties on the market too. A lot of foreclosures have been put off. Not just foreclosures that have been caused by this, but foreclosures that would have happened anyway. A lot of those have been postponed now because there's been moratoriums on that. So you're going to see those properties coming online. There are so many things and so many factors that are going to lead to more properties being brought on the market that, and again, we don't know how much, we don't know that it's going to flip and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying I've got a crystal ball, but what I will say is this, if you're prepared for it, you'll be able to capitalize on it. And the way to prepare for it is to build your pipeline right now. It's to make your lead generation, lead follow up, lead conversion calls. It's to get as many properties on the market as fast as you can right now. It's about making sure that you're in touch with people and that when they are ready, you're ready to take care of them. And then the rest will work itself out but you're gonna to have to develop new skill sets to do that. You're gonna to have to find new and more interesting and diverse ways to find leads, to generate those leads, to follow up with those leads. It's not gonna be like it was before. And let me rephrase, that's not true. The basic principles are gonna remain. The basic principles are true, right? Lead generation, lead follow, lead conversion, three most important things you can do. How we do those things will continue to change. How we do the lead generation will continue to evolve. Uh, you know, I mean, back, you know, 10 years ago, nobody would have thought to do a virtual listing presentation. Now it's commonplace. Yeah. 
a year from now, it'll be unusual that, that people won't offer that. So, um, I mean, we all know the 80-20 rule. Mm -hmm. And really it's 20% of the agents are doing 80% of the business, right? Or 20% of the business owners are doing 80% of the business. Right. Uh, and 80% of the agents are doing 20% of the business. Mm -hmm. So um, when I met you, the first time I ever met you, uh, we jumped on a, I don't know what kind of conference it was, but you were sharing a spreadsheet with me um, that you guys have had in Club Wealth for some time now, and now you guys are rolling out CSU. So share with us what, um, just what are some of the things people can do to make sure that they are on top of their business and running it like a business? Well, first you got to inspect what you expect, right? And so no matter what I do with my team, if I, if I expect them to do X, Y, and Z, I have to inspect that on a regular basis. Well, how am I going to do that in an efficient manner? The bigger you grow, the more difficult that becomes, right? Um, you know, the more people that are on your team, the more you have to systemize the process of inspecting what you expect. Now that's where CSU comes in, right? I mean, that's a phenomenal platform for that, obviously, uh, where you can keep track of and you can visualize, visually look at, at a glance, what's happening on your team and very quickly identify where there's problems um, that need to be addressed. And also be able to quickly identify who's doing really well. Where do I need to give kudos? Where do I need to, um, you know, to really give somebody a pat on the back, particularly in front of the rest of the team? Uh, now, well, knowing what to track is very important. I mean, you can get crazy with this and you can crack, you know, you could spend all your time on tracking, which is exactly the opposite of the point with CC, right? We don't want to spend all of our time on tracking. We need to track, but we want to keep it as simple as possible so that we can just at a glance know, is my business doing what it needs to do? Or is there a red flag somewhere that I need to go address? Um, so that has to happen on a daily basis. And so the first thing I would recommend is for those of you that have a team or a brokerage, I'd recommend a daily huddle. Every single day, uh, we do it on our team, Monday through Friday, 7.30 a.m. is when we do ours. Uh, I would recommend you do yours early as well. It accomplishes a lot of things. It uh, gets people up and dressed and ready for the day. So we do ours on Zoom. Uh, for those that are remote, those that are in person, come into the office, obviously, or will be again when the office is open. Uh, that said, I want them dressed and ready for the day. That's one of our requirements. If you're not dressed and ready for the day, you're not getting leads. Simple as that. So for those of you who are listening and not watching, Michael is in his suit and tie. He always is dressed to a T. And thankfully, he still talks to me when I'm dressed like this. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, but here's the thing. It really just, it depends on what your role is and how, and how you work on it. But I will say this. For a real estate team, what I have found uh, is that there's two things I've found. And you, you spoke earlier to, and I'll, I'll challenge this. You spoke earlier to a lot of companies that are saying, oh, our people are more efficient and more effective now. Uh, I don't buy that. Now, I believe they're saying that. I don't believe they know that uh, because I've seen the numbers. I've, tra I've tracked them closely in our company. And I can tell you that the people that come to the work, to work in-house are literally three times more productive than the people that work remotely from home. And I love our folks in both, uh, but I, I can tell you unequivocally that we see a three X increase in production when they come to the office and they work together in the office and they get that synergy. That said, um, I want them in a suit and tie because how you dress should not only strengthen your message, but it should also strengthen your self-esteem. 
right? So I want to know that I've got my suit of armor on. Like on my team, yeah, let me tell you, if I'm an agent, if, if, if we're talking about real estate agents on my team, man, put a freaking tie on. If you're going out selling houses. Now, our ISAs, do they have to wear a suit and tie? No, our inside sales agents do not. Um, but they have to dress professionally, right? So we're talking business casual is what we expect out of our uh, ISAs. And if they're going to wear a t-shirt, it's got to say Club Wealth. Simple as that. Like any Club Wealth attire is always okay. Um, and let's not forget that if they're an ISA, they need to stand all day and not sit. Right. So you're 100% correct on that. So our ISA stand up. I'm standing right now. I'm going to stand up. So it, it, literally, I spent $46,000 in the office on stand up desks. So they can, they're height adjustable desks. So when they're dialing the phone, absolutely sit down. You bet. You know, take a load off. But it's actually better for your body if you're up and down, up and down versus up all the time or down all the time. Uh, and so that's why at a push of a button, their desk will go up to their standing height or down to their sitting height. And uh, they get that motion that they need to. And keep this in mind. This is a, an old school, uh, I'm an old boiler room kind of guy. Uh, but, you know, we, we've always said motion creates emotion. Yeah, and it does. You know, when you're moving around, you, know, you, get, you get more emotion into it. And you need to have that emotion to really convey your message properly to the person on the other end of the phone. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad you said that. Uh, I really didn't learn that until I went to Tony Robbins about six years ago. And I've been through all of his trainings now, which, which are amazing. But uh, like between, I'm, on, I'm in meetings like every hour on the hour right now, just meeting with people like you, which I love to do keeping my energy up is the most important thing I can do. So between every meeting, especially if my energy's dropped a little bit, I just go over onto my little rebounder tramp and do, you know, a little jumping up and down for a minute. I can come back full of life and energy, right? So the movement, for those of you who haven't tried that, try it because it works. Yeah, it really does. Just whatever you've got to do to get motion happening. And it's interesting because it changes your conversation on the phone too. One of the things we talk about with our team is matching and marrying, the importance of matching and marrying the person that you're talking with. So if I'm talking with somebody who's high energy, I'd better be standing up because I got to be high energy with them, right? It's very important because they'll feel that, they'll sense that on the end of the phone. If I'm talking with someone who's super low energy, I'm talking, and you, you know the correct type, right? They're just really low energy and they kind of talk like this. I will literally sit down and I will literally put my feet up on the desk if that's what it takes to slow me down. <laughs> and, so, and it does, and it will change, right? Uh, you know, there's so many techniques that we can use to improve our sales skills. Um, and they're not hard to learn uh, and they're fun to practice and they work. Uh, and this one's just super easy, right? Stand up, match and mirror. And it's funny because people say, oh, but Michael, if I'm matching and mirroring, what do I mean by matching and mirroring? I'm talking uh, volume, pace, tone, intonation, um, you know, inflection, uh, the words, the vocabulary that they use, all of these things will match and mirror. Body language, if I'm on Zoom, I'll match body language with them. All of these things when you're matching and mirroring will help your client or your potential client, your, your prospect, if you will, to feel more comfortable with you. And what, what's interesting is some people say, but Michael, won't they think I'm making fun of them? Won't they, won't they be uncomfortable? You know, like if somebody has an accent and I start speaking with an accent, which I will do occasionally, uh, you know, if I'm talking to somebody from the South and they get, start giving me a bunch of y'alls, guess what's going to come out of my mouth? Y'alls, right? I'm going to be saying stuff like y'all this and all that. And, yeah. 
And and people think, you know, oh, but Michael, they're going to think you're making fun of them. Not at all. In fact, they'll be more put off by you not doing it than they will if you do. Because when you don't do it, you are foreign to them. You are an outsider to them. When you do it, you're natural to them, and you and you feel like someone that they're used to. It's more it's more comfortable for them, if you will. Yeah. And so matching mirroring really does work. There's so many other great techniques. That's by the way a neuro linguistic programming technique. So. So I wanted to uh, shift gears for a minute. Uh, we don't have a lot of time left, Michael. Uh, However, I, I wanted to make sure we hit, you guys are really focused on profitability. I would say all of your coaches are profitability coaches. And, you know, with COVID-19, we at CSU have experienced a lot more of this because people now care more than ever how much they're spending on lead sources. They mm -hmm. care more than ever to know what their cost per closing is, what their cost per closing per agent is, and so we've seen, uh, we've seen team owners go from, hey, I'm going to, instead of giving you 50% on these types of leads, if you want me to keep buying these types of leads, you're now going to be at 30%. And we've also seen them say, instead of sharing these leads with everybody, I'm now only going to share it with my top three converters in those categories. So these are the kinds of things we're seeing at CSU, but I'd love for you to share just again, in today's environment, what are you guys talking about as far as profitability goes? Because I know you guys are really big on profitability coaching. I've actually seen where people have said, I need to call my club wealth coach before I make that decision. Yeah, so we actually, our clients, uh, and they're not required to, but they voluntarily agree to, uh, to check with their coach before they spend more than $250 in their business. So if it's going to be more than $250 annualized, right? So uh, in a one-year period, then they'll check with their coach first. And, and again, let's call it what it is. As agents, I think we all love the shiny objects, right? We all love, you know, writing a check to get money coming in. You know, I, I just want to write a check and have a bigger one come in. I don't want to do anything else. Well, the reality is there's a lot of stuff in between, and there's an awful lot of checks we could write that aren't checks we should write. Uh, furthermore, when it comes to profitability, you guys have, I'm speaking to the agents and the brokers out there, you guys have a responsibility to your clients to be profitable. Now think about that for just a minute. Why would your client care if you're profitable or not? Because if you're not profitable, guess what? You're going to be out of business and you're not able to serve anybody. And, and so many people say, oh, but Michael, I just want to help people. And I want to make sure I'm giving the best deal. I had a, I had a client, not a client anymore, uh, but I had a client that insisted on uh, being a super discounted commission. And, oh, I'm going to do this model and it's in, in, and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna discount my commission because I think people way overpay for, for real estate agents. And what this person just could not get, and they were successful, but they didn't have a team. They weren't, it was just them all the time. And so if they took a vacation, their business took a vacation. If they stopped working for a day, their business stopped working for a day. They were married to their phone. And our core value at Club Wealth is that no success in the world can compensate for failure in the home. So what happens is now, you can run that model, but if you run that model and, and you're not profitable when you try and scale and hire people so you can actually run the business, you're going to run yourself ragged. You're going to burn out. It is not going to last long term. So you've got to balance how am I profitable with how do I deliver a world-class customer experience with how do I make sure that my clients are getting great value along the way. And you can balance all those things. You just have to be cognizant of them. You have to be thinking hard about them. You have to look at it differently. As simply as 
how often do you look at your profit and loss? And this is something most agents don't even have a profit and loss. You know, some might have a loss, but not a profit. But, but how many of these agents and brokers that are watching today really have a full and complete profit and loss and they're looking at it on a regular basis? I would suggest at a minimum once a month, you need to spend an afternoon going through your profit and loss. And just understand, even if you don't really know how to go through it, just looking at where you spent your money will change how you feel about money and about expenses. And it will adjust naturally how you spend money. Just go through and start highlighting things that look questionable to you. Should I really be buying that? Am I really getting value out of that? And you'll start cutting back on things that maybe aren't bringing you the kind of ROI that once was promised. Yeah, thank, thank you for sharing that. We've seen that with our most successful customers right now, they're really utilizing Sisu to, to look at all of their expenses and decide which ones should I keep doing. And so it's really um, brought a whole new uh, layer of value um, that I've seen. One of the great things about Sisu though, and not to make this a commercial for Sisu, but the fact of the matter is, truth, and truth be told, one of the things that it does really well is it helps you understand your ROI on a particular lead source, which a lot of agents struggle with, right? You need to understand how much did I spend on that and what's my conversion rate on that? And the other thing that's really interesting, and you guys can do this as well, is which of my team members, if I have a team and, or, or brokers, if I'm handing out leads to multiple people, which of them are converting them at a higher level? And that matters, right? Because you're gonna have, and by the way, you might have somebody that converts this type of lead at a really high level and they convert this type of lead at a very low level. That's important to identify. So now I'm gonna stop giving them the ones that convert at a low level and I'll just give them the ones that convert at a high level. Perfect example is buyer agents versus listing agents. And everybody loves to give me a hard time with this. Oh, but Michael, we're the friendly team. We let our agents work with buyers and with sellers. Well, then you're just a freaking moron. No, I'm sorry, that's not true. I shouldn't say that. But I will say this. There are teams that can function in that environment well, but let's call it what it is. I've never seen teams be more effective and more efficient than the teams that segment buyers and sellers and they have listing agents and they have buyer agents and the two are not the same person. Those teams that segment those have far greater success than the teams that try and have everybody doing everything. It's the jack of all trades, master of none, right? Yeah, so get a, go a little deeper on that. Why do, you, why do you think that is? Perfect. So a buyer, right? So let's take Mr. Mistella. We'll just, we'll just say, uh, Brian Charlesworth wants to go out and sell his house and then he wants to buy them. As a seller, well, let's start as a buyer. When he goes out and buys a house, what do you want? You want somebody that's going to be patient with you, that's going to nurture you, that's going to guide you through the process, educate you the whole way along, hold your hands and, and not pressure you. As a seller, you want that person that's going to kick down the front door, punch you in the face and make you sign. You want a snarly pit bull with an attitude. You want somebody that's going to take no prisoners and get you the most money they can in the least amount of time possible. And you don't care if you like him or not. Just get my freaking house sold and get me as much as you can as quickly as, you, as humanly possible. Those are two different agents. They're not even remotely the same agent. Can you guess which one I am? I would stuck as a buyer agent, right? Nobody would want to work with me as a listing agent. I've never met anybody that's listed more homes than I have. So again, that doesn't make me a bad agent. It just means I'm not a great buyer agent. There's better buyer agents than me. Right. And I, I think that falls into play with what you just said, as far as even if you're operating a team that does both, know which agents convert the highest on which type of lead source. Right. So you can make sure you're getting the most bang for your buck. 
as a as a listening agent on my team in the, to, be, to even be considered to have an opportunity to try out as a listening agent on my team you have to convert 50 percent or more of your cold listing appointments not referrals but from cold sources fizzles expires cold calls whatever anything other you know inbound leads nothing but referral based stuff now to remain a listing agent on my team you had to convert at 75 percent on cold appointments most people aren't doing that the vast majority of agents out there are not converting at that level if you're a really great listing agent you will in fact my listing agents got paid as a percentage of the uh commission right as compared to the buyer agents my buyer agents would make as much as 50 percent my listing agents would make as much as 30 percent and yet everybody wanted to be a listing agent on my team why they don't work nights they don't work weekends they're slammed with appointments that's all they do is go from house to house to house they take listings they grab that listing they hand it off to somebody's desk and they never deal with it again unless that person needs to be reclosed who wouldn't want that job I know people on uh, I, I I know people on uh, some agent schemes that literally the listing agents make ten percent, and they still make a solid six figure income. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not about the percentage you make. You got, and that's another thing I think a lot of agents and brokers they get, they they tend to get into this argument over what percent do they make. Look, a hundred percent of nothing is still nothing. Right. Quit getting worked up about the percentage that you make and worry about how much money do you make at the end of the year. For how many hours? What's your dollars per hour? That's really what matters at the end of the day. What do you make per hour worked? That's it. Yeah. I, I think if a lot of a lot of people on teams, agents on teams could understand that because I see, you know, there, there's churn. Certainly people come onto a team for a couple of years and then they might feel like, oh, I've got this now. I'm going to go up on my own. And when they do, what I usually see or have seen is that their production decreases dramatically. And at the end of the day, they actually have less money coming into their pocket. And they're working twice as hard. That's the other And like, I agree with everything you just said, and they're working twice as hard. That's the thing. People have, they don't realize, everybody thinks, or, or too many people think that the benefits to a team are exclusively the benefits of the team leader and then nothing could be further from the truth everybody on the team benefits from the team it's like the farmer right farmers go out and and let's say i'm I'm a wheat farmer right i've got all these wheat fields that i'm trying to grow and i've got i've got to cultivate well to do so i need a combine and these combines can be very expensive right a combine can cost a million dollars or more i mean this is high technology nowadays it's not your grandfather's grandfather's old combine so to be able to buy this combine a a solo farmer usually can't afford their own combine so what do they do they get together with a bunch of other farmers and they get together and they buy a combine together they share the expense on that combine so guess what now they can all take turns using it they can all afford it that's what a team does that's just a team right if you think about your team you know somebody's got about you know we want to have an assistant that handles all the marketing we need an assistant that handles all the transaction to close we need uh, people handling the lead generation. We need people going on the buyer appointments, people going on the listing appointments. Somebody's got to run the whole thing. Somebody's got to make sure everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing, holding everybody accountable. And there's a million other moving pieces along the way. So guess what? If I'm on a team, I get to leverage all of that, whether I'm the team leader or not. I get to, if I'm on a team, I have an assistant. I, I, don't, I don't have to manage them. I don't have to pay them. I just have to use them to the best of my ability to get to help me get done what I need to get done and somebody else worries about the rest, whose goals, mission, vision, values, and their, and, and their destiny is uniquely aligned with mine. 
Maybe you better now. Yeah. Great, Michael, thank you for sharing. I know we have a hard stop. Is there any advice that you would like to give before we wrap up today? I'll, I'll wrap it up with what I said in the very beginning. Start taking advice only from those people who have done more than you want, you know, or what you want to do. As an example, in Clubwalk, we've got over 70 coaches in Clubwalk right now. Every single one of those coaches sell more real estate than the people they coach. If you're, if you're doing 25 transactions a year, stop taking advice from people doing 10. If you're doing 100, stop taking advice from people doing 50. If you want to do 500 deals a year, start taking advice from people to do 500 or 600 or 1,000. Just make sure that you're taking advice from people that know, not that think they know, but people that know how to get you where you want to go because they've already been there. But to sum it up, we say at Club Wealth, that if you want to climb to the top of Mount Everest, you need a guide who's been to the top of Mount Everest before. I love it. Michael, thank you so much for your time. Uh, listeners, whether you're watching or listening, we're grateful to have you as a part of the show. This wouldn't happen without you guys. So uh, if you get a chance, go give us a, a rating. We'd love to have you share it with your friends, uh, fellow people in the real estate world. And Michael, uh, Maybe you'll be the first to be back on the third episode of uh, the Grit Podcast. I would love to. I'd be honored. Great. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for joining us on our podcast. If you have an interest in a free seven-day trial of Sisu, go to sisu.co, S-I-S-U dot C-O. Make sure that you use the coupon code GRIT, that's G-R-I-T, to waive all your set of fees and receive a 10% discount on your subscription. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast and want to subscribe, search GRIT, the real estate growth mindset on iTunes, Spotify, or Podbean. And with that, we'll catch you next time. Take care.